Amen. It's a beautiful song, and uh, I think some of you have been praying since Joe said the air conditioning wasn't working, you know? Feels pretty good in here now. When Joe said that, I saw all the bulletins come out and people start fanning. Oh boy, here we go. No. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Uh, I'll just add my, um, my, my welcome and, and add that to what's already been said. Uh, if that term applies to you in any way, we just want to, to say Happy Mother's Day. Uh, moms, hope you have a great, great day. Uh, today we are in week two of this series. We're talking about what it means to lead strong. And, and uh, as we, we kind of mentioned last week, we're going to spend a few weeks talking directly to uh, our men about this leadership that God has called them to embody. And if you weren't here last week, I can summarize what we said just really quickly in one, in one sentence. If you want to build something that lasts, Jesus says you need to build upon the proper foundation. So as we noted last week, that proper foundation, Jesus says, is uh, it's him, and it is obedience to his teaching. As he closes out the Sermon on the Mount there, uh, he says that there is a, a true blessing. The wise man is, is the one who builds his house upon this rock, this foundation, uh, and he doesn't, it, what, what he builds really endures and really lasts. So any leadership that God has in store for us is based upon this. It's based upon following Jesus first. And then last week, I also thanked the ladies in advance just for for, for their graciousness. Ladies, thank you for, for working through this uh, with us. And I received an email this week from, from one of our members, and she is raising her son by herself. And I asked her if it would be okay for me to share a portion of what she wrote uh, to me, because I, I think this will resonate with some of our ladies, and she agreed. She said, I wanted to thank you for yesterday's start uh, to our series on strong leadership. I have to be honest, at first I was thinking, how am I going to be able to connect with this? Is this just another topic in which I'll feel alienated or feel like I don't fit in? She said, Satan likes to set traps for me like this. He throws out lies about who I am as a woman, as a child of God. You're a single mom, so you don't fit in. Your marriage has failed, which means you failed, which means you don't fit in. Or, or you're a bad parent, you don't fit in. She says, these are the lies that he throws at me regularly. And honestly, when I saw this topic, I felt angry and hurt and lonely. She says, it's amazing how faithful our father is, though. And as I listened to you sharing the message last week, the tears began to come. But then I stopped. She says, the Spirit helped me realize I can choose to lead strong in my own family. I can choose to be free from a situation filled with so much brokenness. I can choose to apply these concepts in my own life now as I assume this role of leader. And I, I try to harness and share these truths with my son. Because one day, he'll be a man. And I choose to teach him now. How to be a godly man, to be a leader of the Lord's body, of his own family one day. And I do pray that the Lord brings a godly man into my life to lead me and to help instill these values into my son as well. And I pray for that every day. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to miss the opportunity to lead strong now while the Lord has entrusted this sweet little life into my hands only. Thank you again for this series. I want to share this with you today because it's it's, it's a pretty honest reaction uh, from one of our ladies and she says you know when i heard we were going to be doing this i was hurt 
and I was lonely, I was a little bit angry, and I suspect uh, she might not be the only one who had that, that kind of reaction. But I love what she says next. Basically, I'm not going to let my circumstances keep me from leading strong in my own way. And I think this sister of ours is a great example of what it means to lead strong and to walk faithfully and to try and build something that lasts. I wanted to share her words with you because I thought you'd find them to be an encouragement. If you want to build something that lasts, Jesus says you need to build it upon the proper foundation. But also there's this, if you want to build something, you need to have the right blueprint. And, and thankfully, God has provided us in his word with the right blueprint. He hasn't left us without these instructions. Today, if you have your Bible, I'd like to ask you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. You can pull it up on your phone, or if you don't have a Bible, there should be one nearby, maybe uh, the, the pew in front of you, you can see there in the rack. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 is where we'll spend our time in God's Word today, and this is the divine blueprint for marriage. Ephesians 5 is one of those passages of Scripture that, in my opinion, I think um, it needs to be discussed regularly in the life of a church because it speaks to this mystery of God's intention for marriage. So Paul addresses part of this teaching to wives, and we, we won't delve into that uh, here today, but in that, that section there in Ephesians 5, as he addresses wives, he, he calls wives to submit to the spiritual leadership of their husbands just as the church submits to the spiritual leadership of Christ. But as I told you, for the sake of time, we're, we're really honing in on, on what this word has to say to us uh, as men. So we're going to look here at Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 33. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 25. I'll have the words on the screen, but please feel free to follow along there in your Bibles as well. This is God's word. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of God. Uh, today we're going to think about this passage in, in terms of two primary points, okay? The first is this, uh, a husband's leadership is qualified by love. That's pretty clear in this text. We'll talk about that here uh, in just a minute. And then we'll turn and we'll, we'll talk about the second piece of this. It says that a husband's love parallels the sanctifying work of Jesus. Those will be kind of the two main, main pieces that we'll, we'll work with here today. So let's begin with this, this idea of leading with love. Everything that Paul says here at the end of Ephesians 5 is his comments to, to wives, his comments to husbands, all those commands, they flow out of what he said at the beginning of the chapter. So just look a few verses earlier in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, okay? It's on the screen. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. We'll talk more about that 
idea of imitation next week, but, but it's important for today too. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He begins by talking about this idea of imitating God. He says we imitate God when we walk in this, this self-giving love, this agape love that we have come to know in Jesus. And so that is the basis for everything that Paul says at the end of the chapter. What he says to wives about submitting to husbands flows out of this. They're to imitate that example of Christ. And also there's this, the, the, the teaching that he has to husbands. They too are to imitate the love of Jesus. And so in this uh, specific set of instructions to husbands, Paul says it four times in one way or another. Husbands, love your wives. Men, why do you think that God saw fit in this passage of Scripture to put that command in there four times? Husbands, love your wives. Now, you know, that's, that's basically said one way or another four times in such a, a short amount of time. I think one of the reasons is that we're simply prone to forget, right? We're prone to forget some of those things that are really most essential to us. Paul knows that we have a lot of things on our minds, and so it might be easy for us to forget from time to time the really important things, even if we're told them over and over and over again. I'm suspecting some of you are getting some elbows in the ribs right now. The other day, Sonny and I were, were eating uh, dinner somewhere, and across the street from that restaurant, uh, there was a, a place that sold ice cream. And so as we're eating dinner, Sonny says, boy, you know what would be really great? I'm like, I, I mean, I don't know what. And she said, having some ice cream afterwards. And I was like, I mean, maybe, whatever. And I went back to my burrito. And uh, she, she mentioned it again. She was like, no, I mean, really, wouldn't that just be so great if we had some, some ice cream uh, after dinner? I was like, I don't, I mean, I don't really want any ice cream right now. Maybe, maybe something else. And she was like, I want to go get some ice cream after we have lunch. I'm, te I'm telling you right now. I was like, oh, okay, great. We'll, we'll go get some ice cream. We made it all the way home. And she turned to me as we're pulling in the garage. She was like, Jason, I love you, but thanks for the ice cream. And I was like, I forgot about the ice cream. No matter how many times you told me, like I really meant to go get the ice cream. And she just laughed because she knows, right? Wives, you know, sometimes we're we're prone to forget even if you tell us over and over and over again so that may be one of the reasons that god puts this in there so many times but i think i think it's deeper than that i think the reason this is included four different times is because it's just really hard for us to overstate the importance of love based upon the example of jesus right i mean we, we can't stress that enough no matter what walk of life, no matter where we are, no matter what season, no matter who we are, you, you can't overplay that hand. The, the importance of following in the loving example of Jesus. And so we, we find here husbands called to, to this sort of self-giving, sacrificial love. It's agape love that we read about throughout the scriptures. And then Paul says that there's this really profound mystery that's at work here. He says that the marriage relationship reveals something that's otherwise hidden. That's what he means by, by mystery. Not that the mystery hasn't been revealed, but no, but that, that the mystery has been revealed. And, and so what's revealed there, he says, through marriage, if you follow his train of thought, okay, marriage reveals something about the love of God. That's why the, the church holds marriage in such high regard. Whether, whether we're married, whether we're not, I, you know, 
one's not better or worse. You know, read what Paul has to say about that sometime. But, but he does point to this and he says, look, this relationship, this covenant relationship between these two people, it's, it's kind of like this little parable. It's this teaching. It's this illustration of the love of God. People should look at the way these two love one another, and we'll just focus specifically on the husband. They should look at how the husband loves his wife, and they should be able to discern something of the unconditional, self-sacrificial, agape love of God. By looking at how we, men, love our wives. So that that causes me to ask this question, okay, if if your marriage is is intended to be a sermon like that, ask yourself, okay, what what message does my marriage proclaim? Men, if if our marriage is a sermon, is it it a a word of of good news? Again, is, is, is my marriage... A sermon, a word, a message of, of self-giving, sacrificial kind of love? Or does my marriage preach something else? If someone were to observe my marriage, would they see that kind of self-giving love? Would they come to know something of the mystery of who God is by the way I cherish and treat and love my wife? Or will they instead see a different kind of message proclaimed, more of a message of, of self-focus? Am I more interested in meeting her needs, or having her meet my needs. The Lord put it here four times, so we have to deal with it. Husbands, love your wives. Love her, he says, with self-giving, agape love. That's a marriage that declares the good news of Jesus. But that's just a piece of this. That's just part of what we're, we're told here. And, and I suspect many of us have heard that uh, often, in, you know, it's, it's a high calling, right? But it's this next piece that, that requires us to do a, a, a little more, I think, contemplation because in the second part of this, he says there's, there's, a deeper, there's a deeper concept that is focused on the relationship between marriage and this big church-sounding word, sanctification, okay? Look again, verses 25 and 26 on the screen there. Husbands, love your wives. One of the times he says it there, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then, then he goes on this, this, this riff of what the love of Jesus looks like. And so he says, we're to love like Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the one who loved the church. Jesus is the one who gave himself up for the church in order that he might sanctify her. Okay, so unpack this with me, all right? A husband's love for his wife is based upon the love that Jesus modeled. So then we have Paul expounding on this idea that, that Christ's love for the church led to his work of sanctifying her. Therefore, part of this mystery that Paul speaks of when it comes to marriage is that a husband's love parallels that sanctifying work. It participates in that sanctifying work. That's interesting. Let's take a minute. I just want to talk about this, this idea of, of sanctification, and then we'll work it back into what I think the Word is teaching us about marriage so uh when we come to know jesus that just this is kind of crude all right but uh just sort of hang with me here uh when we come to know jesus we, we read about that in the scriptures it's this conversion it's this act of justification it's this movement from the realm out here of, of, of what non-kingdom i guess you could call it the kingdom of, of satan the darkness uh you know when we, we move into 
the kingdom of God, there's a clear conversion point. We spent a lot of time earlier this year talking about baptism and how it is that entry point into life with God. We are now in Christ through our baptism, okay? So we make this, this move, we, we move into this area of, of kingdom, and so sometimes as, as you talk to folks who are kind of contemplating that, there's always this question of, well, okay, well, that's great, but what comes next, right? What comes next? And that's a really great question. And a lot, of, a lot of presentations of the gospel kind of fail to unpack the what comes next part. We're just kind of interested in getting people from out here in the dark into the circle. And don't get me wrong, that's a great thing. That's an important thing. That's a gospel thing. We're commanded to do that. That's the act of making disciples, right? But you ever notice the bulk of the New Testament doesn't deal with that. That's a pretty simple thing, right? You hear the word, you, you believe, you you're confessing your sins, you're, you're baptized into Christ, you know, like all of that is, is really, really kind of simple. It's the what comes next that, that takes up the bulk of the New Testament. And there's so much of this teaching that talks about exactly this, the what comes next part. And what comes next, as you read through the scriptures, is this process, the, the big biblical, you know, theological term for it is sanctification, But it is the work of becoming more and more like Christ. What comes next is now Christ is formed in you. Is formed in me. This term sanctified, to be sanctified, it simply means to be made holy. It means to be set apart. So what comes next after your conversion, the scriptures teach that the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit begins this work, this work of transformation in your life. You receive a new nature. You put on Christ. You begin to grow in Christ. A couple of years ago, we spent the entire year studying through the book of Ephesians. And one of the things that I walked away with was just the, the way Paul really impresses this in the back half of Ephesians, the importance of spiritual maturity he's talking to people who are already inside the circle but he draws us into this like this magnetic understanding of what christ is doing as we follow him we're being formed more fully into the image of christ we're having christ formed in us because the ultimate goal here is christ likeness so in genesis chapter one we're told the very beginning on the first page of our bibles we're told that we're made in the image and the likeness of god so that means every human life bears that divine imprint sin corrupts that the power of sin is to corrupt the image of god within us and no matter how hard we might scrub no matter how hard we might try we can't redeem ourselves we can't restore ourselves we can't fix what is broken in ourselves and in the world because of sin But the gospel message is this, Colossians 1, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. The fullness of God dwells within him. And so Jesus comes and repairs that which is broken in you and in me and in all who would respond in faith, okay? So much so that in Colossians 1, 21 and 22, it says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
So after we are converted, after our conversion, we're justified in the eyes of the Lord, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit works to bring about transformation in us. And one key text that talks about this, Paul talks about it over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All right, so hang with me here for just another minute or so, okay? We'll go back to this little diagram. Paul talks about this in several uh, places. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, he says that he is in anguish for these believers until Christ is formed in them, okay? In Galatians 5, he goes on to unpack that a little more fully, okay? What does it look like to have Christ formed in you? Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit being born in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, you know, the little kitty song, right? Well, it's way more than a kitty song because that is, that is the fruit of the Spirit being born in us. Why does the Holy Spirit produce that in you? Or in me? Why does the Holy Spirit want to make you more loving? Or more joyful? Or more peaceful? Because those are, the, those are the qualities and characteristics that are most fully embodied in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's work is to make us look more like Jesus. That's the, that's the goal here. John says this over in 1 John chapter 3. In verse 2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. One day, John says, we will see Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's work of transformation in us will be complete. And that's when the word of Jesus in Luke 6, verse 40, will be fully realized. That'll be the ultimate fulfillment of that, because Jesus says there that a disciple... He's not above his teacher, but when he is fully trained, when he's fully formed, he will be like his teacher. He will be like his master. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, okay? To sanctify us, to make us more holy, to produce the character of Jesus in us. We'll talk more about that later on in the year, all right? But with that in mind, now go back to what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, okay? So again, here it is. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, and then there's this line, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He's kind of alluding to this practice in the ancient world. Before a bride uh, came to the altar, she received this, this prenuptial bath that uh, you know, signified her, her cleansing, her ritual purity, everything we associate with a white wedding dress. Okay, That happened in this, this kind of pre-wedding uh, bath sort of thing. Uh, what Paul is saying here is that Christ is the one who's bathed the bride, okay? Washing her with water through the word gives us a great way to think about baptism, right? Especially in light of what uh, John says in Revelation 19, Revelation 21, okay? Kind of the, the marriage supper of the lamb that you read about there. Uh, but Paul says that, that we are to love our wives in the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. I really think what he's getting at there is that a husband's love for his wife should contribute 
to her sanctification. We can't take the place of the Holy Spirit. We can't do what God's trying to do, okay? So I'm not trying to say that at all. But we can contribute. Listen to this, okay? We can contribute to the spiritual growth of our wives. If you just want to put this in kind of like everyday language, this is it, okay? My wife should be made more holy because of the way I treat her, not less. Would you agree with that? Like, my wife should become more like Christ because of the way that I'm loving her and the way that I'm treating her, not less. My job, my role, one of the things that, that we as men, I think, really need to take seriously, okay, is that we have a responsibility to take an active role in our wives' spiritual growth and health. All too often, <laughs> I think you could probably argue, like, we're over here dragging her down, you know? My job, what God wants, is for me to work, to love her in a way that contributes to her sanctification, making her more holy. Meanwhile, I'm over here doing everything in my power, not to make her more holy, but to kind of, kind of drag her down into my love. Has that ever happened in your relationship? Is it happening now? I mean, are, are we contributing to our wives' spiritual growth, or are we part of the problem? I really think that's what the Word of God is calling us to. It's easy to just pay lip service. Yeah, husbands love your wives. Husbands love your wives. You know, like, yeah, that's great. How do you do that? Well, before he gets into some of the how, Paul gets really, really specific. He says, well, here's one thing you need to keep in mind. Work toward her holiness. That's a, that's a high calling. Some young man comes someday to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. You really want to mess with his head? You ask, okay, son, are you ready to contribute to the sanctification of my daughter? <laughs> Just watch him squirm, you know. I'm going to have a lot of fun here before long. But we need to think about that for ourselves too, right? How are we contributing to that? So let's close this way. Okay, so the big question is, all right, I, I get you. Love your wives. Be, be committed to her spiritual growth, her holiness. All right, how do I do that? right how how do we do that can't answer all that in you know five minutes here we'll put some points on the board all right uh think of a couple practical ways we can do this uh one is this keep your eye on jesus <laughs> sounds really simple all right i need to explain uh this gets back into that branch leadership stuff we talked about last week so last week we looked at john 15 and what jesus teaches there he is the vine and we are the branches okay and so we said the most important thing we can do for anybody else is to stay intimately and deeply connected to the vine. And I believe when it comes to your wife's sanctification, when it comes to loving her, the best way you can do that, the best way you can con contribute to her sanctification is to focus upon your own sanctification. To cultivate a rich spiritual life for yourself. That may seem a little counterintuitive at first, but it is the gospel truth. The best way to participate in your wife's sanctification is to partner with the Holy Spirit in your own sanctification. That means to hear what the Word of God is, is trying to say. It's to, to listen to, to the ways that the Holy Spirit through the Word is trying to, to purge sinful habits from our lives, to shape us more fully into the image of Christ. So uh, the Spirit is at work, according to the Gospel, according to the New Testament. The Spirit is at work to claim my thought life, to help me take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The Spirit is at work to claim my speech, 
so that it is full of grace and seasoned with salt. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. The Spirit is at work to reorient my behavior so that I'm able to see and take advantage of every opportunity to do good to all people. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Sanctification works best when my will is aligned with the will of the Holy Spirit. And that's when my character undergoes the kind of gospel transformation that God intends to bring about in my life. So, how can you help contribute to her sanctification? Uh, it begins with maintaining that deep and abiding walk with Jesus yourself. The more holy you are, the more holy she will become. Because according to the word of God, you're one flesh. So, that's one. Remembering that branch leadership from John chapter 15. Uh, number two is this, you need to prioritize your wife's spiritual development. That one also sounds simple, but, but it is really, really important. You need to place a priority on her spiritual development in two areas, her, her personal spiritual development, but also your spiritual development as a couple. Uh, prioritizing her spiritual development could be something really simple. It could be taking the kids on a bike ride so she has a half hour to read her Bible uninterrupted. It could be encouraging her to join uh, a Bible study if she's not a, a part of one. It's just building some time into your schedule. What really matters to you, you build it into your schedule. You pull up your Google Calendar or you use a day timer or like whatever you're using. You, if it really matters, you write it down and then it happens. So that's what I'm telling you. You need to prioritize her spiritual development by building some time in your calendar for you to make that possible for her. Ladies, if he does this, you need to honor it, right? If he does this and he prioritizes your spiritual development, you need to honor it. You don't need to use that time that he's giving you. It's kind of like your little Instagram vacation, right, in the middle of the day. You need to use it, okay, are you hearing me, to spend time with your Father in heaven. But you also need to spend time cultivating your, your relationship together as a couple. When was the last time you prayed with her? When was the last time you opened up the Bible and said, hey, what do you think this scripture is, is talking about? When was the last time you served together in a ministry? Maybe start leading a small group together. Maybe start saving up for a mission trip that you go on together. Maybe you just start dreaming kingdom dreams together. That's what God intends in our marriages. Does your wife know the details about how you came to know the Lord? Have you ever told her that story? Have you ever told her your baptism story? she know your favorite passage of scripture does she know the the places in the bible that really mean the most to you does she know the places that you really struggle with does she know some of your doubts is there somebody in your life who doesn't know the lord that you're concerned about and are you praying about that person by name with your wife you can go a long way toward prioritizing each other's spiritual lives just by creating some space for those spiritually meaningful conversations finally this I think initiating spiritual formation, not just in her life, but initiating it for the whole family. You heard, you heard my friend there at the beginning and, and what she's praying for, that a man will, will come to, to lead her spiritually, but also to be that for her son. Um, she's like, I, I pray that every day. Until, until that happens, you know, it's on me, and I'm, I'm going to do that. And I know we have a lot of ladies who are doing that initiating spiritual formation for the whole family but that falls to mom or dad usually um, it's not just her responsibility right we need to be right there 
in the mix, taking the lead, not just when it comes to our wives and their sanctification, but, but also those members of our extended families. The best way to contribute to the sanctification of our wives is the means Paul lays out here in Ephesians 5. He says, give yourself up for her. This is what he says about Jesus. He loved the church and he gave himself up for her and husbands are called to do likewise. That's God's blueprint for marriage. Today, the invitation of Christ is extended. I hope this word sets on your heart. I hope we take seriously, no matter what our circumstances are, no matter where we might be, I hope we take seriously the, the opportunity we have to lead people in a spiritual direction, to, to partner with the Spirit to bring about that Christ-likeness. That's the goal. If you're not in Christ, the first step there is to confess the good name of Jesus and to begin this lifelong journey of having Christ formed in you. If you're, not here, if you're here today and you've never done that, you've never confessed the lordship of Jesus and put Christ on in baptism, we'd love to celebrate that with you this morning, okay? So in just a minute as we sing, you can respond and we'll, we'll pray with you, we'll talk with you if you need to study the Bible. If you have something on your heart you need to share with those of us down front or with your shepherds that you'll see in the back of this room as well, you can do that. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's stand together and let's sing.